Hi, I'm Rodney Edwards, and welcome to my podcast, Human Nature. In each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest reflecting on their journey through life, how they navigate through the daily pressures of this crazy world, deal with emotion, make decisions, and make sense of the chaos. Most of us share the same feelings, the same dreams, and there's more that unites us than divides us. In this week's episode, Mary Lou MacDonald, a daughter, a mother, a sister, a wife, and the president of Sinn Féin. This interview was recorded via a video call during the coronavirus lockdown and just weeks after Mary Lou had recovered from COVID-19. This is the personal side of a very public figure. When she was going, she she was, was dying. I should have got there quicker. There's a million things that you'd wish you had 10 seconds to kind of unsay or say better or... That I, I find Arlene a really, really interesting character. Um, I like her. When you finished that call with Jerry Adams and you put the phone down, what did you do next? I cried. Mary Lou, thank you. Delighted, Rodney, to see you. And you. We've we've been talking about this for a while. We have. We have for too long. So how's lockdown? Well, lockdown for us, um, or quarantine started at the beginning of March. You see, my kids were in the school in Glastavon in School Katrina, where the first, or certainly one of the first cases of the virus was identified. So we've been on sort of red alert since then. So it's it's okay. I mean, we're still talking to each other. Um, I'm doing my best in terms of home tuition, although I, 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 I can tell you now for sure that it was a very good life decision not to be a teacher. Um, but you, and, you, you were you were getting into that, though, were you not as a student? You were teaching. Yeah, no, I did. Children. Um, when I was uh, when I was at uni um, during the summertime, I taught very young children English in Spain, um, which I loved. It was great as a summer summer job, um, and. Later on, I, I taught you, I did a bit of teaching at third level uh, later on in my career. And then I did a good bit of training and development when I worked with the trade union movement later on again. Um, but I can tell you, we will never take our teachers for granted again, just as we applaud people on the front line, our health workers who are heroes. And by the way, they have to be not just heroes today and forgotten tomorrow. We need to honour that now and pay them properly and resource the, the health service, north and south. Um, but yeah, we're okay. Um, I'm just very, very thankful and grateful that um, we haven't lost anyone. All of my family, thank God, are in good health. And I came through the virus myself. I'm on the far side of it. And I count myself, Rodney, as incredibly lucky. Incredibly lucky. And just on the homeschooling, are your children good students? bad i mean they're they're two my my eldest is uh, my daughter um and her brother my son could not be more different in their outlooks and their application to matters academic and scholarly and she's very she's very you know good at the books and you know what i mean by that is she's kind of disciplined and she'll you know she'll she'll 
do a lot of her own learning independently now she's older than him obviously but uh he just wants to play hurling um and play his guitar and basketball all of a sudden is a huge thing so that's what kind of that's what kind of turns on his life i know your daughter was very much into one direction at one stage and yes you were bopping away at, at a gig that's right I, I don't know if she'd appreciate being reminded of that are they still kind of cool are they still a thing I don't oh know. of course um, of course one day do you know she was supposed to um they had planned herself and her friends to go to to some of those festivals during the summer she she'll turn 17 this summer so they had been, they're at that stage now where they'd be going to gigs or festivals. And of course, everything is cancelled. So they're all, they're all really upset. What music is, is played at the McDonald household then? A little bit of everything. Uh, some of which I don't recognise, I have to tell you. I'm at that stage where I'm saying, I, I don't quite regard it as noise, but it certainly is not stuff that I recognise. Um, but in this household, everything is played from Jeepers, from... Um, 50s sounds to, I mean, the Rolling Stones, The Clash, ABBA, Bob Dylan, Christy Moore, you name it really, it gets a blast. Dusty Springfield, big, big favourite, big thing here. My husband is uh, is quite musical and um, when the children were very small, they listened to his musical taste. So all of them at the age of three and four would like sing The Clash and, you know, London Calling or they could sing, you know, anything that that Mick Jagger had ever had ever sung so that's those are their formative influences some of your friends in Sinn Féin tell me that you're a very good singer <laughs> some of my friends in Sinn Féin have been telling you lies really who what who on earth told you that what if I play something for you I'm told that you do a very good rendition of this Would you would you like to would you like to do a rendition now? I, I'm sure you would love me to do that, Rodney. You know, um, and in fact, and, and I'm sure you'd stop me thereafter. Where have you been that, singing yeah, that? There's a story to that. There was um, I can't remember, and I know who told you that, and she should know that I know. I cannot reveal um, my sources. I'm afraid. I, I you cannot possibly. know. I respect your journalistic um, integrity and the protection of your sources, but you don't have to tell me because I know. But uh, there was a, a fundraiser or a charity event, and I was cajoled into uh, into singing that song. Oh my God! By the way, the same competition, Angus O'Snodig, um, another TD, our friend and colleague, he won. He did Elvis. I have to tell you, I was much better. Now, not that I'm much good, but I was much better. Than him. And I you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna belt out a little tune now. I take it. No, I'm. <laughs> I've had a long day. <laughs> What about the hair? I mean, my hair, I'm a cross between, my wife believes I'm a cross between Wurzel Gummidge and Liam Gallagher at the moment. So where I are think you? you? look nice, Rodney. I think your hair looks actually remarkably well. That's very um, By comparison with some of the haircuts I've seen. So I am, I'm struggling really to manage my hair. At the best of times, I have two left hands. So I'm highly reliant on my hairdresser, Jacinta, who I love, 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 and who I will never, ever, ever take for granted again. I think we should do a shout out to hairdressers, barbers, stylists, everywhere. Um, I, I toyed with the idea of trying to get them recognised as essential frontline workers, but uh, people weren't really buying that. So I've done my best. I did my own colour. Oh, you put a colour uh, in? Uh, no, it's too dark. But, um, so 
So I got fierce slagging for my kids. I thought it was hilarious. Right. So is that said, um, your head over the sink? Is that the type of way it works? Well, no, it's it's not. It's a bit more sophisticated than that now. You you know you apply it to the relevant thing, then you kind of rub it in, and then you wash it out. So, but it's never the same as getting it done by a professional. So, I look forward to the day when I can go to the brewer again. I'm looking yeah, forward. I'm looking forward to getting my hair cut. My my wife says she's going to cut it for me, but we'll see. <laughs> Growing up then, Mary Lou, your father, Patrick, was a builder. Your mother, Joan, was a homemaker. And you grew up with your siblings, Patrick, Bernard and Joanne. And you've said in the past that your childhood was very good. What made it so good? I just, I suppose, you know, at the time, you just, you know, as children, you just live your life and you, I suppose, I take, I suppose take a lot of things for granted. Um, I now, I mean, I know now that we had, we had great stability in our lives. We got a great education and we weren't, we weren't privileged or, or wealthy or rich or any of that, but we were very privileged to, to, to the extent that my mother ensured that we were all very, very well educated. And I think that is, that has stood to each of us in our, in our own way. We had each other, um, we had kind of a very simple life. Like at at, at that time, um, you didn't go away to foreign places on your holidays. We spent every holiday down with my grandmother in Tipperary, in South Tip, and that to us was pure heaven. Like we'd finish school um, and then we'd head down, and we wouldn't come back until September. And we used to cry coming back. We loved it so much just to be for city children. To be out in the country or at the foot of the Galaxy Mountains, but my grand, my my mother's people are dairy farmers. So to be, you know, to all of that, going to the creamery, the crack with our cousins, and just the simple, simple. There was nothing, nothing spectacular. I think it was the very simplicity of it that was just brilliant. So to this day, I still bring my own kids now to tip. I still have lots of family there. And can't get to bring them often enough and they're, they're a bit older now and they want to be doing their own things but I love that I just the freedom of that very important when you live in a city that you have a, a place a rural place to go to what was your relationship like with your parents I mean, pretty good my my parents actually separated when I was quite young so that was different at the time it was um uh, at the time it was nearly a stigma thing you know They'd regard families like that as like broken families, which is a horrible way to describe anybody's family. And but you know that that happened. But I mean, but pretty good uh, all around. We're, we're still all of us pretty tight and, and fairly close knit. I mean, you have your ups and downs like any family, but um, but then and now, I think our relationships are strong and very important. And I think in times like this, you realise that at the end of the day. Um, it's those close bonds and relationships that really, really matter. Like I haven't seen my mom in like face to face physically uh, in eight, nine, nine weeks. Do you miss her? Oh, desperately. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot, um, but I just miss just the thing of I cannot wait for just the day where we can sit down and just drink tea and talk about nothing in particular or that I can take her out shopping or we can go for a drive or. Do you know what I mean? And she's in great health, thank God. Like she's, we're, we're very, very lucky. She's very independent and all of that. But it's still, it's hard for all of us when that kind of distance is enforced. And 
the only safe thing to do with, with your parent or your grandparents is actually to stay at a distance. I think it's a big ask of people. You know? Your parents separate it when you were nine years old and a separation like that can be tough on a child. What effect, if any, did it have on you? Um, it, it is undoubtedly a, a difficult thing for, for the family, for the couple concerned and also for, for children. But you know what, children, well, certainly I can't generalize, I'm going to speak for myself. I was pretty resilient. So for me, the main thing, so long as you had a stable, a safe, a loving environment, um, you know, you got on with it. I got on with it and I had my friends who I loved and things that interested me and I loved my books and I loved my school and I just kind of got on with it. But what I now know raising my own family is that, you know, society has changed beyond recognition because now when my own kids go to school and in their peer group amongst their pals, there's all sorts of family forms and there's, there's no remark paid on it. In my day, like when I was a child, it was absolutely taboo. You didn't advertise the fact that your parents had separated. It was considered some mark of failure in the minds of some. And do you know what? It's a great credit to us as a society that we've moved beyond that. I think that's a great thing. We should, we should, we should recognize ourselves, you know, the progress that that is. Did your parents tell you that they loved you when you were growing up? Yes, all the time. Yeah, all the time. And I replicate that with my own. I could say, yes, we know you love us. We know, we know. But I prefer it that way than um, them not hearing us. I think it's you're, you're better to overdo it. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't, there aren't rules and regulations. I love you doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do and behave badly. But uh yeah, I'm a great believer in that. I think it's really, really important that people affirm each other and certainly raising kids. That's that's been that's been my approach. What was the most mischievous thing you did as a child? Well, let me see now. Since we're on the subject of haircuts, when I was I think I was about five or maybe six, I cut my own hair. I'd lovely hair. I gave myself a fringe, um, which I thought was wonderful. And my mother, I remember my mother having an absolute fit. I had literally butchered my hair. Now, I don't know if that was mischievous. Maybe that's more in the file of creative. We did regularly stuff like, you know, so my, my mother was a great believer in, you know, porridge. Flavins, we hated it. Oh, my God, we hated it. And no matter how much we got the whole sermon of, this is good for you, this is, you know, so, so uh, hiding it behind the curtain. Or disposing of it in all sorts of different ways. We were quite creative when I think of it now, but invariably mum would find it. And uh, most of the time, funny enough, she pretended that she hadn't seen and kind of ignored it because it was probably probably an easier thing to do. I have an older brother and then myself and then there's a set of twins. And I remember when they were born and when my mum brought them home. And I remember saying to, to her and actually to my dad at the time, like, why did you bring home two babies? You only went out for one. I couldn't for ages understand, but like, there was a baby in this deal. Where, where did two come from? But I was so excited. We were so excited when they came up. We used to have great fun with them because they were like, um, they were like, uh, I don't know, you could kind of experiment on them. Do you know? So my brother used to have to endure, my, my younger brother used to have to endure like beauty treatments. So I'd make up all sorts of different face masks, cucumber and 
I don't know, clay or whatever, put them all over his face and make him lie down. And so it was great. It was a great time. And you were educated at Notre Dame and Churchtown. What was that like? Very nice. Um, actually, that school has now has now closed. Um, it was, but it was very nice. Uh, French uh, nuns. Um, so we were taught French from an early age. A Catholic school. Uh, a lot of nuns taught us. Um, but great. I mean, it was a small school, so it was very very tight. And I went to the, to the prep school, to the primary school. And then into the secondary school. So I was in, I, I went in at say the age of about seven after my communion. And then I was there until my leaving certificate. So you great continuity. So it meant that you had the same friends all the way along, which was lovely actually. And a small school is, is great if, you, if you're in one. I was, I was interested in the world, but I never kind of, I was never the kind of person who would just like lock, stock and barrel necessarily buy into an idea simply because it kept being repeated to me so I always would have had kind of the antennae up but that said of course you're influenced by your education and by the values that are imparted to you so for the most part even though the truth is that the Ireland that I grew up in and became a woman in um was not a really uh, actually, it was a kind of a cold house for women in many, many ways. Um, and I, I rejected all of that as soon as I could kind of understand it. But that said, I mean, my education taught you things like respect and compassion. And I think in no small way would have influenced my my whole sense of social justice in a good way. So that's the positive piece of the lecture. But there's no doubt, I mean, I'd be the first, I've said it before, and I remember um, it raised some eyebrows initially when we'd be talking about Ireland and the dynamic north to south and the north being a cold house for Catholics and a discriminatory state and all of that. Uh, but it's also fair to say that the south, um, there, was, there was merit when our unionist friends feared and said that home rule was Rome rule. Like we have to, we have to say that out loud because that that did nobody any favors. And I say that as a Catholic, and I know lots of people who are Catholics who recognise that that was that, that was wrong, and it actually damaged everyone. And I, I think it damaged the church too. Have you watched Normal People yet? I haven't, but I have the book. I've read the book. I haven't seen the series. I'm gonna kind of stockpile it and watch it. And the actors uh, are just gorgeous. Amazing, and it's it's being filmed in um, what was the family home of Shane Ross, the former minister down here. It's just so interesting. Oh, hmm. I didn't so, yeah, know that. I'm gonna watch it. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Were your days at Trinity as wild as uni life appears in normal people? <laughs> it always looks that way in movies, doesn't it? No, it was this, and it was fantastic. I mean, what a great university! Bang in the centre of Dublin city. I mean, what's not to love? Um, so I had I had great years there, um, and it drew people from all over Ireland and internationally. So you got great diversity in the university. Um, I loved it, and I would recommend it as a place of learning to to just about uh, to just about anybody. And despite its reputation at that time and now around some kind of snobbery or you know you've got that 
nothing in my experience could have been further from the truth. I mean, clearly the university has a tradition and an ethos, but I found it to be a place where uh, you met people from every walk of life. And I, I that's that's way back, although, although now, you know, even more so, it's such a great melting pot. And university, third level education, is just such a huge opportunity, not just for jobs, for your for your your earning potential, but for you as a person. In fact, sometimes I wish, I wish that you'd nearly go back as a mature student. I think, God, I wonder what it would look like now through the eyes of a woman of my age now, as against a kid out of school and straight in. But they were great days, absolutely brilliant days. And if you could go back, what would you study? Probably law. Uh, probably law, but uh, at the time when I when I came out of school, I loved literature, I loved theatre, um, and I went very much with my heart. I went with the thing that I loved. I, I didn't really have planned out what my life was going to look like professionally or work-wise. Um, but the great thing is a good degree, a good grounding uh, degree provides you with the capacity to think and to analyze and it just equips you later. But if I was going back now, I think I would opt for a degree in law. Well, let's talk about love, family and friends now, something we all have in common. Do you remember your first kiss? Yes. Tell me more. (laughs) That's it, yes. Yes, I do, vividly. Where was this? I'm not telling you, Rodney. This is, you don't, you don't ask, um, such an invasive question. Yeah, it was at a disco. We used to go to the discos when we were kids um, in our local rugby clubs. They're absolutely great. Everyone went there. Like, again, very, very innocent times. I hear sometimes the, you know, the kind of sensationalism about what kids get up to now. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, there used to be sensationalism about what kids were getting up to then. And I mean, jeepers. It's there may have been a minority at that kind of practice. Certainly not me. What type of music were you boogie into back then? Well, it was the you know into the eighties, into the nineties. Not a disco like Frankie goes to Hollywood was a biggie. You know, um, there was there was just so many that I have now. You know, greatest hits from the nineteen eighties. I put it on. And it's like you know Kylie and Nelson Mandela. Free Nelson Mandela used to be the finish up the night on that not so much and then maybe the national anthem although that was you know particularly good but we all every child in south county dublin had got to know who nelson mandela was because they attended the discos at their local clubs whether it was a gaa club or in my case a rugby club so when you listen to frankie goes to hollywood now you think of your first kiss do you well I, i'm not i'm not I, <laughs> Bring back all the old memories. So you married Martin Lanigan. Where did you meet him? I met Martin in a pub in the centre of Dublin called Peter's Pub. It's a tiny wee pub. And actually it was at the time of Italia 90. And there was a match on. I can't remember who who we were playing. We were playing someone and I came across him in a state of high dudgeon, shouting at the referee. You know this ref. Another way, guys, gonna. So actually, I said, Jeepers, that guy's gonna actually do himself physical damage, screaming like that at the deli. And so we met, we met through mutual friends, some vast friends of, of, of mine and of his. And we met and we just kicked immediately. And actually, at the end of this month, 
we will be 24 years married. Wow. Believe it or believe it not. And what, what is the secret? Can you can you give a, a young married man like I, myself some yeah, advice? I would, not, I would be very reluctant to dispense any advice at all. We're just doing our best here. But he says it's because I'm away so much that it's actually kept things things civilized and kept things kind of interesting. Oh, we have a good life together and we're I mean like everyone, Rodney, you know this. You marry, you raise your children, you do your best, you have your good moments, your bad moments, your ups, your down. It just goes with the turf. There's no perfection on offer. I don't believe anywhere for anyone. Was it love at first sight? I wouldn't I wouldn't say it was that, but it certainly was great laughs at, at first meeting, good crack, real connection. Um but it wasn't that you know the way I have this notion of love at first sight like dazzling you know stars and bells and it wasn't that but but i met him i liked him from the very very off he was very different to to lots of the the lads i would have grown up with or he was from the north side he's a bit older he was so uh so it just worked we just worked together yeah what does it mean to allow another person to to truly love you I suppose you have to uh, you have to let them, don't you? You have to bring down all of your your barriers. You have to value yourself as well. Like if you're uneasy in your own skin, or if you're if you're struggling a lot, you can you can just make it very hard for people around you to kind of get access to you in any kind of close way. So uh, that's a very deep question um i think you have to be yourself you have to be your authentic self and it's funny you know this when you when you live with someone and then certainly when you have a family together um something about the arrival of children on the scene that all nicety or pretense is out the window because you've got a job to do and it just all becomes very familiar um and maybe i mean I know some people have told me that that can be a problem. I actually like that level of familiarity. I like routine and I like safe and I like in in my domestic life. What was your earliest memory of loss? Well, I suppose two. Um, I think when my parents separated, we talked about that. I think that was a sense of loss. I mean, it wasn't a bereavement, but it changes your family. And then my grandmother died um just the year after i got married molly was her name um and she was we she and i were very close she was a big influence on my life that was a huge loss um and i remember actually on the day that she died i had heard that she was you know struggling um and i made my way down to tip and i just missed her by probably about 40 minutes or so I was devastated like not that it would have made any difference I mean she was going she 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 was was dying but uh I felt for a long time that I should have got there quicker did not having that moment with her have any impact on you well I was really I mean I was distraught she was she was the a typical kind of matriarchal figure great crack huge influence on me on my ideas and even without me realizing she was a gas woman um she's the kind of woman where you remember they barred smoking on trains 
but she got the train up from Limerick Junction to to Dublin. I'd go in and collect and she'd tell me, I smoked, I smoked my fag and I left the packet there just to let them know. To say, well, okay. She was asked to stay there. I wasn't going to argue with her, but she thought it was a pure effrontery of some pup to tell her she couldn't smoke her cigarette. But anyway, she was, um, she was a great woman. So yeah, I was upset. I mean, it's, it, it didn't scar me indefinitely, but it was just one of those moments. Um, loss is hard, you know, as, as people, no, um, but I've been I, again. I've been very, very lucky. I, I wasn't. I didn't have a big trauma of of loss of love in, in the way that so many have. Not least of Rodney up your neck of the woods and in the north of Ireland in, in really traumatic ways right across the community. So I count myself as beyond lucky on that score. How often do you think about your friend Martin McGuinness? Regularly, actually, um, when when I um, when I came into position, when I became the leader of the party, and when Michelle was in situ, and um, I think from time to time, and I'd say to her from time to time, God, you know, you'd miss Martin's view, just his view and his wisdom and his perspective on things. So, so yeah, we miss him a lot. But yeah, I mean, he was he was a one-off just a, an incredible person and a big influence on all of us because Martin was so ultimately so not just personable and friendly and warm he was all of those things but he really really understood people he was as a political leader he was actually hugely driven not just by intellect but by feeling and by emotion he was a great man to make connections with people actually I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody better you know at that piece of, of kind of dealing with people and dealing with people sometimes in really difficult or sometimes really controversial situations so yeah i miss him miss him a lot did you get a chance to say goodbye to him before he died i did although i didn't realize i was saying goodbye to him Rodney. i went to visit him it might have been 10 days um before he died um he was there and i i I got the chance to sit down and spend a little bit of time with him and i knew he was weak i knew he wasn't well i I never dreamed for a second that he was going to die i just assumed that he was going to bounce back i mean he was martin as far as i was concerned martin could nearly walk on water i mean he he just had incredible stamina and uh strength so we had, I remember my last conversation with him. Um, I, I said the thing that Irish people always say, so is there anything I can do, even in circumstances where I'm clearly not a doctor or a medic or a miracle worker? So, but he actually said to me, he said, there is actually. And I said, okay. and I said, so and what's that, Martin? And he said, you can go out and win. And I said, okay. And it was emotional. He was emotional. It was just, he was very sick. And I, I, I only know now how sick he was. But those were, that was my last conversation with Martin. So I still thought he was going to get better. That's, that's the honest to God. Um, and so what, then when he did die, um, it was almost like a bolt out of the blue, even though he had been sick. Where did you get the news? I was at home in my bed asleep and Jerry rang me 
to say and I knew when his I knew when um when he came up on the phone. Uh I said to myself, This isn't good. Um so Jerry had been with him, as you know. And uh and so yeah, that's how I heard. Absolutely, yeah. That was it. It was a sitting day of the doll, so um we went in and obviously apart from him being a loss to his friends and to his family, he was obviously a huge public figure, so it was the news story for the day. So we had to kind of manage all of that. But it gave me just a small glimpse for people who lose somebody who is a public figure, a very high profile figure, or who lose their loved ones in very high profile circumstances, just how difficult it, it has to be to deal with that. Like I was amazed at the just the absolute calm and dignity of Bernie of and Martin's family throughout that whole period. That was just incredibly tough. When you finished that call with Jerry Adams and you put the phone down, what did you do next? I cried. What do you think stands between you and happiness? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd regard myself as fairly happy. Um, I, I've learned actually over the last couple of weeks the value of just slowing things down. Like I go at a mile a minute because that's the life that I've chosen. I love my work. I love what I do. Um, but you can get very caught up. You have to, in fact, get very caught up in what you're doing. So I think sometimes I just, I, I get find myself distracted or running so fast that you can't stop and enjoy the moment. You know, just those small things. But they're the small things that make up your life. So enjoying my back garden. I'm a, I'm an awful gardener, but my husband's brilliant. So we have a nice back garden. Taking time, really taking time with the kids to actually sit and listen, listen properly um, to just going for a walk. And I will never take those kind of simple things for granted again. I mean, I think I, I had been, you may have heard the Bewley's, that iconic restaurant on Grafton Street is due to those. I'm just freaking out over that because one of the things I've been really looking forward to is just coffee and views with anyone, with everyone, actually, every person I've ever met, just coffee and views. I know. And of course, I hear the news that it's closed. There's going to be so many queues outside cafes and restaurants when this lockdown is lifted. It's going to be very different, Rob, from here on in. What lessons have you learned in life the hard way? God, so many. Um, I think any of the big lessons that I've learned I probably have learned through adversity and the hard way rather than, than the other way around. So let me see. Um, I've learned humility through hard circumstances. I've learned forbearance and resilience through tough times in my life, in my, my professional, my political life, uh, as well as my personal life. Um, and then the the joyful things I think I've learned through the big joyful moments, which have been many and which have far outweighed adversity. But yeah, those important. It's important to learn never to get ahead of yourself, not to be taking things for granted, not to take people for granted. Um, and maybe the biggest lesson that I've learned consistently is that if you start something. You finish it and that you carry on, 
even if things are difficult. Nobody said that this gig was going to be easy. Do you think you'll ever be Taoiseach? Yes, I do, actually. Uh, and I don't say that in a vain way. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. Um, I think the time is right now for for a woman to to lead government here. Obviously, we have we've broken that glass ceiling in the north. Um, I think similarly, it's time here in the south. And I don't say that anybody should should assume the role of Taoiseach simply because they're a woman. That's not the point I'm making. But I think it's very important for society general in general, but for women and girls in particular, that we prove without any fear of contradiction that women can occupy uh, every role, the most senior roles in public life. I think that matters. And then maybe more importantly, down here, there's a real palpable mood for change, like I've never seen before, and a real understanding that your political choice doesn't have to be a binary choice between Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael and whose turn is it now, that there is actually a different way of, of doing politics, that there is that different forms of government are possible. So I think that's all really, really exciting. So in that context, yes, yes, I think I can be. I think I will be. Um, there's government formation talks underway. And the old two of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are trying to cobble something together to keep us out. They may succeed for now. But the truth is that even though the establishment might frustrate or slow down change, they may delay things, but they're not going to stop change. Like moments come and ideas come of age that what we need now is a sense of purpose and deep and wide engagement. That is absolutely critical. This conversation about Ireland post-Brexit, Ireland post-Covid, Ireland and what this island looks like and how we live together and what our politics looks like and what our governance and constitutional arrangements look like. That's a conversation for everyone, including unionism. This is a really important point. And I know unionism, by definition, wishes to maintain the current constitutional status quo. But I know that that is their position in a world that is rapidly changing an environment nationally and internationally that is, is transforming. Um, and I think it's important at this stage, because change is coming, that all of us entertain not just our plan A, our desired best outcome, but we also have to look at all of the permutations and all of the possibilities beyond that. So I think this is a really exciting conversation. Um, and I think it's going to make big asks of us. It's going to be, make big asks of nationalists and republicans. It makes a, an ask of a big ask of unionism. But talking to particularly younger people across the island, you know, there's just a very strong sense in which the the big questions of this generation are just framed differently for the new generation. And I think we need to respond to that as well. So it's exciting times. I, I think we are moving. I think there will be a border poll. I think it can happen within that kind of time frame. Um, but I also know that we need to talk to each other. We need to work really, really hard to find the best possible accommodation and the best possible answers for health and education and the economy and investment and innovation and uh, social solidarity. Do you support a people's assembly? 
yes, I think that's a very good idea, and I'm not precious about what it's called. Um, but but what I am very clear on is that we need a structured forum in which that conversation and engagement can happen. Because I have my ideas as as the leader of Sinn Fein. Republicans will have a view and a perspective to offer, but we're not going to write this story on our own. This is a collective issue, you know, challenge, and it's 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 not a Sinn Fein issue. This is an Irish issue. This is an Ireland North and South issue. When did you last laugh so much it hurt? Actually, uh, I laugh a lot. Um, my my one of my kids is just an amazing mimic and has like just the craziest sense of humor and comes out with mad stuff. Like he, he would ring me on my phone and leave uh, messages and all sorts of different accents and voices. Actually, he answered the phone to Michelle O'Neill the other night and uh, answered her in an Asian accent. Said, "No, lovely lady, you called the right." So she hung up and then she rang me back up and said, I rang you and somebody that I didn't recognize answered was my son. So we laugh a lot and uh, laugh till we, till we, till we cry. So um, we watched, we watched a couple of, I watched that, we watched that movie Dumb and Dumber again. So I laughed a lot at that. Um, so yeah, I've, I've never, in fairness, I've never any shortage of laughter. Does your son do a good impression of Leo? He doesn't do Leo, but no. he does pretty much. I'll get him onto that now. He does pretty much everyone else. He does a good Northern accent. He he mimics some of my uh, my colleagues. He did a great one on Martina Anderson. She said that's a brat. I said I know, but he's my brat. Looking back, uh, is there anything that you regret? Anything that you wanted to say to somebody that you didn't get to say? Oh yeah, I mean, where where would you start? I mean, every argument that I've ever had, which most of which have proved totally unnecessary and, um, you know, absolutely. I mean, there's a million things that you'd wish you had 10 seconds to kind of unsay or say better or, yeah, I mean, my my interactions with people are full of that. But I like to think that I'm, um, you know, I'm reasonable enough to say if, if I'm wrong or if I misspoke or if I, you know, push things too far. That I would say that to, to a person, um, not just to apologise for it, but to to say what I really meant. So, so, but yeah, I mean, what life isn't isn't full of that. But you know what? You could spend forever. I could do an audit of my life, and I could give you millions of things that I said that I wish I hadn't or had said differently. Uh, but you can't live like that either. You know, you can just you can just say, right, well, the next time I speak to that person. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna try it a different way. I'm gonna say something something different. How often do you let your fears hold you back? Yeah, I suppose I've I've done that. Um, I. And what do you fear? Uh, I have to be honest with you, Rodney. I'm I'm not really a person who's filled with fear. I mean, I worry. You know, I worry about my children. I worry about you know, but I'm not. I'm not generally, you know, riddled with indecision. I'm quite a decisive person. Um, sometimes, actually, the challenge for me isn't to overcome fear or, you know, to, you know, overcome caution. Sometimes it's, it's just for me to take a deep breath, take ten steps back, you know. So no, I mean, my my, my the thing that I would I would worry most about, like any parents, I worry about my kids. I worry that they're happy. I worry that they're 
you know, that they'll have a good life, you know, that they'll, you know, those things are mainly, I guess. Do you think humanity exists or are we born selfish? No, not at all. We're born with all of the range of compassion and grace and um, good nature, you know, imaginable and we're selfish. Like that's just, isn't that the great paradox of and the, the struggle for any person is to kind of let the light shine and, you know, keep the shadow <laughs> um, to, to a minimum. Isn't that the great, I've yet to meet a person who is all bad. And I've yet to meet a person who is all good. And that's what makes us infinitely fascinating. I believe fundamentally in the goodness of, of human beings and of human nature. And I think the evidence of that is everywhere to be seen. Does that mean that we're not selfish? No, it doesn't. But it means that we're good. Tell me something you like about Arlene Foster. I like the fact that she stands up for herself actually like that. I, I find Arlene a really, really interesting character. Um, I like her. I find her just a very interesting personality. She's a leader in political life. And I, I know as a woman, you know, she, you, you earn your place. Let me put it to you that way. So I respect that immensely. She's a mother of children. So she faces all of the all of the issues that no more than myself. So I like all of those things about her. Actually, I like that she's from Fermanagh um, and that she's very connected with her place and very proud of where she comes from. I like that. I always like that in a person, yeah. And what about Leo Vradka? What do you like in him? I suppose Leo represents many things that are like, I mean, a Taoiseach who is openly gay, a Taoiseach who uh, has is uh, mixed race. Um, I like the fact that he has achieved as as a person. And I know I don't think he's not just a category; he's a human being. Um, I think I think Leo's smart. You know, I think he's I think he's you know he's got a good brain. Um, I don't like his politics, but I think he's. You've asked me what I like. I like that. Um, and politics isn't um, about taking a personal, you know, grudge or dislike, or certainly for me, it's not bothered with that. I generally like people. I mean, I'm generally positively disposed to people. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, he's all right. As a person, sure, he's, he's grand, you know, he's, he's doing his job. What word best describes the way you've spent the last month of your life? I suppose distressing, like the virus is very distressing. You're sick. I was quite, really quite sick. Um, although I was still on the mild end of, of the experience, but I, I was quite sick. But more than more than anything, I found it just distressing. Even before I had a positive diagnosis that I had the virus, my, my doctor, who's outstanding, had said to me, um, the likelihood is you have it. And when I was at my lowest point, he said to me, just take comfort from the fact that your your immunity has, your, the army of your immunity has mobilized and it's fighting this thing and it's fighting it good. Um, 
I found it distressing that the virus had gotten into my house. Um, because all of a sudden, you know, what had started as a story in China then became grief and heartbreak in Northern Italy, poor Italy. Um, and then all of a sudden it's in your neighborhood and then it's in your, in your home. And that was just distressing. It's very hard to describe Rodney how that felt, but I found that, I found that really, really upsetting. Um, and I was concerned then, obviously, that I wouldn't get so sick that I could. And I was lucky, as I said earlier, that that worked out for me. But I would not wish this on anyone. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible virus. And you know all the advice that we're being given. And I know it's really hard. And I, we all want to get back to work and get the kids to school. And we, we have to reawaken the economy. You know, that's we have to do that. But I can't emphasize enough that we have to do it safely. And this thing is so transmissible, it can be picked up pretty easily. Above all, coming out the far end of it, how do I get lucky, blessed? And when you were recovering at home and you heard about the growing number of deaths, and as you say, it was in one country one day and the next it was in your own home, did it make you think of your own circumstances? Did you at any point think, I mightn't make it? I, I didn't think that. Um but certainly at the tail end of my sickness, um, and I now know the, the, the precise chronology. So actually, I, I was over the virus, if you like, but then I got pleurisy in my right lung. Um, and that was frightening because I think that was the only time where I actually thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to wind up in hospital. Um, that didn't happen. I was steeped. I was correctly diagnosed, I got the right medication and and it kicked in quickly. And although I was really sick then with that, I could feel incrementally I wasn't getting worse, but I was on the right path. But yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you this much. I only imagined how if you were that bit older, if you had a serious underlying condition and you got hit with this virus in the way that I was. You know, you'd struggle with it. I was also aware at the time that other people were in hospital, were in ICU. I'd heard that Niall Murphy, for example, from Belfast was sick and that he was on a ventilator. God, like he's he's younger than me. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's been a it's been a really scary time for so many, hasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, when you close your eyes, Mary Lou, and you reflect on your on your life thus far, what do you say? I close my eyes and I think, right, um, generally I think about the million things that I still have to do. I'm pressing forward and looking forward. But really, if, I, if I'm if i to reflect on things, I'm so thankful for my family, obviously, but also my friends, my colleagues at Sinn Féin, all of the people that I've had the privilege to meet in different circumstances, whether it's farmers in Tyrone or business people in Belfast or, you know, community people in Ballymun or Ballybock or, so I feel lucky. That's what I do. I say, I say, lucky, lucky. When you have finished your day fighting the bit out with Leo and you get home, what is it first? Is it uh, kick off the shoes, homeschool yes. the children, get a glass of I wine? Do, I, what I do you do? I home this evening, shoes came off, jacket came off. Um, I said, right, what did you, what did daddy make for dinner? So, so that is interesting. <laughs> what is it? Um, what are you having? 
he's made he's made um chicken broccoli pasta looks nice actually i'll, I'll report to you uh Rodney, please do next. please do but i asked how was the day what were they asked has everything been done so it's kind of a, a quick run of things so my routine is kind of set when i'm out working at home make sure everything is in order sort things out have a bite to eat plan for tomorrow um and then she would sit down and watch a bit of television, chill out, and then early to bed. What are you watching TV? We're watching at the moment um, uh, a Netflix series called Mad Men. Have you seen this about no, advertising people in 1960s? I, I haven't actually. Manhattan. No. Um, so it's good. My daughter and I are watching. We catch an episode every evening. So we're enjoying it. It's little mammy and da- daughter bonding. Remind me of your daughter's name again. Isolde. It, that means beautiful, doesn't it? Well, it's an old, it's an old Celtic. It's actually derived from um, Isolde was a, an Irish princess. She was to marry old King Mark in Cornwall, and Tristan was sent to bring her with the love potion. But of course, her and Tristan drink the love potion, fall for each other, which didn't go down well with King Mark. So I remember when I had her and uh, I named her. I got lovely correspondence actually from Cornwall. Because people obviously realise the connection. An old Irish woman, and she wears it well. Mary Lou MacDonald, thank you. My pleasure, Rodney. It was a long time in the making, so we've done it now. We've managed to have our Thank you. And the next time we talk, you're going to have to do a rendition of, of, of that song. Okay, well, we can we can talk about that. We'd have to negotiate that one out, Rodney. Mary Lou, thank you very much. All the very best. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.